Hello, everybody. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the show, The Big Show, the most important and critically acclaimed podcast that is recorded in our car. And today we are in our car. We are in the red studio, as opposed to the white studio or the black studio. So, welcome to the show. I hope you enjoy what we have on task today. And uh, what do we have on task today? We have several, actually, topics that we're, we were considering. Which one are we going with? How about the situational awareness one? Situational awareness. We're talk about ducks. Ducks. We're going to ducks. talk about ducks. And we're going to talk about other things. We're going to talk about fetch. Fetch is a big deal. And we're going to use these as examples. We're not talking, we're not trying to get you to, per, to prep for these particular things. These are just examples of what we, we as preppers need to do to be safe in everyday situations. Now, what does being safe in everyday situations have to do with prepping? Well, prepping is also sometimes called survivalism. And you have to actually survive every day to make sure... <laughs> that you're here when the zombies come. Right. I mean, it, when the zombies come, if you died because you got caught up in a bad situation where situational awareness would have saved you, then you miss out on the, the fun and the thrill of the zombie hordes. And all your preps for that are wasted. Dang. That's right. What does two years of food do you any good if you drown or get crushed in a crowd panic or, you know... A boating accident? A boating accident or, or just because you did something really stupid, <laughs> okay? <laughs> so, that's what we're going to talk about today. Um, let's first talk about water and being aware. You know, we, we've talked about water before, how you have to have water to drink, but different, you know, water is, water. yeah, water is uh, critically important to life, but it's also a very easy way to die being in the water at the wrong time. And when this podcast record, we're, we're several weeks afterwards, maybe months afterwards, I don't know exactly, about the most recent duck accident, the Branson duck. Uh, we live about as far away from Branson as you can live and still be in the same state. Spiritually as well as yeah, geographically. Uh, but the ducks, the ducks have been around Branson. The ducks have been around the Wisconsin Dells. You know, everybody's seen these things who's been to any of these tourist traps. Amphibious boat trucks right they're they're old military generally old military surplus um they are boat trucks with wheels on them and many of them are literally world war ii vintage not all of them are but many of them are and people have made a really big time touristy uh, attraction attraction but these ducks are exceedingly dangerous things, and people have been killed on them multiple times, in mass. There was a sinking in Branson on the lake. Uh, Bullsho Branson, Bullshoals? Uh, uh, I think it was Table Rock. Table Rock, yes, yeah, Table Rock. So Table Rock and Bullshoals are right next together. I forget which one. Um, let's talk about Table Rock. Table Rock is not really your typical... Uh, Midwestern lake in the fact that it is quite a bit deeper than most of them are. And it is 
Well, it's got a rock bottom on it as opposed to having a mud bottom on it, which means it's a much clearer lake than most Midwestern lakes. She took her diving training in Table Rock. So, uh, you so you can dive somewhere where you can actually see something interesting. Yeah. So so that was Table Rock, and it's usually got 10 to 12 feet of visibility. That really doesn't matter as far as the ducks go, as far as, you know, uh, you know, safety, but it also lets people go and they can look out the side of the ducks and they can kind of see the bottom a lot more than you're really able to do anywhere else. They see the so, fish and stuff. So yeah, they see the fish and stuff. Makes which, it better a tourist attraction. Which you really can't do in most Missouri lakes. That's kind of the draw to it, or one of the draws. Bull Shoals is the same way. It also happens to be on a big recreational area. And it's right next to Branson, which is, well, it is what it it's is. It's a tourist attraction. It's a tourist trap. Okay. Yes. <laughs> Big time. Now, so you got all these. But what people don't realize about lakes like Table Rock and Bull Shoals is they're pretty big. But if the wind gets going from the right direction and a storm hits, they can get really rough. Really, really, really rough. Rough enough to sink boats. I mean, you can get you know, several feet high waves, and something like a duck is not built for these waves. Yeah, it's, it's, it's meant for river crossings, basically. Calm water. Yeah, this is not an open ocean type craft, and it's not a big lake type craft. The Wisconsin Dells, you know, that lake that, that, that the Dells are on, uh, it, it's... It's got a pretty good-sized fetch, but it's not nearly as big as Table Rock. Fetch is the stretch of water over which the wind blows before it gets to you on a body of water. And that can, that, that's a big, big deal if the weather turns bad. That's Safety why the, on the water depends that's why, a lot like, on fetch. For example, the Great Lakes can get to have storms every bit as bad as, as the ocean. Because if the wind's coming from the right angle along the long axis of the lake, it's a very long fetch before it gets to you. And the wind blowing over the water is what builds the height of the waves. So when there's a long fetch, there's bigger waves. When there's big wind, there's bigger waves. When there's both, there's twice as big a waves. And one of the things you have to remember about a smaller body of water is they can get going a lot faster than a big body of water. You can really Conditions change rapidly, pretty quickly. And we're going to tell you a, st- a story from her personal experience on just this. So, um, But first, let's but first, tell let's them what's the uh, happened with the ducks. People ride the ducks all the time in Branson. They've been doing it for decades. They've been doing it since I was a kid, so that makes it four or five decades. Something like that. At least. They've been riding the ducks. So the idea is you pay your tourist money. You get on the duck. They show you where the life preservers are in the pre-jaunt briefing, and they always do do that. And I, from what I've read, they did it in this trip as well. Sure. They did make some offhand comment about, well, you won't need these, because no doubt that's what the captain thought. But he nevertheless did show everybody where they were and, and tell them how to get to them and things like that. And then you drive out, drive right into the water, Boat takes you around the water. You sightsee for a while. They bring you back. 
and then they drive around yeah. the town and take you around the touristy parts of town. It's a it's a land and sea tour. Well, theoretically. Land and lake tour. Land and lake tour. And since it's a very common tourist attraction and millions of people have gone through these things, I'm sure that most of the people who got on the ducks that day had zero thought about it being dangerous. Because so many people had done it before and so many people had done it before without incident. And they just, you know, it's a tourist attraction. You pay a little money, you do it. It's not considered a big risk thing. Except this day. They got out and a thunderstorm came up. And the design of the lake is such that it's a very hilly area with very steep hills. And they used to have rivers running in the bottom. They dammed up the uh, major river. So the shape of the lake looks a lot like a squished octopus. It's got long, thin arms going off in all directions. But when the wind is coming straight down an arm and across the long axis of the lake, it builds up quite a fetch. Because these are actually really long arms, miles and miles long arms. So you don't think about it being that way, because if the wind is coming across the arms, all you get is little bitty waves. But when the wind comes down one and it's strong, you can build up big waves in a hurry. The uh, duck actually rolled over, and I, a lot of people were... Well, it, 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 it got... They were trying... They were going into the waves, and one of them just swamped it. And that rolled it. Yeah. But the problem with that ne- wasn't necessarily that the duck sank. And this is not... You know, first of all, we'll go through the failures of situational awareness for the people that were in there in a bit. The real true problem was the fact that because people whine a lot and because they like to be comfortable, they put canvas tops on these things and they put canvas windows on the or plastic window things on these things. So people wouldn't get wet or so, so yeah. get too much sun. The trouble is these things were never designed to have that kind of top on them. And those things catch wind. You can't get out of them. There's no exit to it, except for the front and back door. And if you're underwater, you're caught in a... It's like being caught in a submarine. There's no real way out. Especially if you get spun around and turned upside down and lose disorientation. You can be very difficult to tell which way is up when you're underwater that way. So I mean, Divers yeah, are taught tricks, yeah, and, but most people and, are not. I've gotten turned around in the water to the point where we're both divers, to the point where I'm just like, okay, I blow bubbles and I watch to see which way they go. And there's been times the visibility's been so bad you'll blow bubbles and put your hand to one place and another to see where the bubbles right, are hitting you your have hand. To feel where the bubbles are hitting when your you hand. get into bad visibility. And that happens sometimes that happens. when you're diving. We, we, we've dove in some really <laughs> poor visibility. You know, it's funny. When you when you watch us dive, this is a side, but when you watch us dive, a lot of people laugh. Oh, that's so cute. They're holding hands. They're holding hands. No, we train in stuff that water is so bad you can't see each other. If you get five feet away from your partner, you've lost your partner. So we hold hands. It's not. It's a habit that we've developed as diving. Not because, oh, it's so sweet. Well, not necessarily anyway. But because we're so used to losing each other (laughs) in the gloom. And, of course, 
situational awareness. We have a plan for that. Yeah, it allows us to spend some time and attention looking at fish and things without having to worry about where your partner is all the time. Right, and we also have a plan for, okay, if we get separated, we spend a minute looking around for our partner. If we don't find our partner, we both know if you haven't sighted your partner in a minute, you slowly ascend to the surface. If, of course, we're outside, uh, we're not doing this in the cave. <laughs> yeah. This is, that cave is a totally different thing, and I'm not even going into it because it's totally beside the point. But if you're outside in open water, you slowly and safely ascend to your partner to, and pop your head up and see where she is. And usually within a few seconds, the other one will pop up. We've had one situation where we couldn't find each other. And she ascended a little bit before me, and I'm ascending. And as I ascend, I have my uh, my uh, air device that releases the air out of my thingy. You don't need the, don't need the details. I'm going up. And I'm looking up because you look up as you're ascending because you don't want to hit the bottom of something as you're going up. And my hand hit the bottom of her fin, and I didn't see it. <laughs> you know, this is how bad the viz was the the point is we knew the risk of the area and we had a plan to deal with the risks of the area right because and the other part of diving is um, when you're up and they're still down you can't see them but you can see where their bubbles are you can follow their bubbles to (laughs) follow their bubbles you just go over and and wait next to the bubbles but anyway that's beside the point the the real point is but we had a plan because we were being situationally aware. Now, if what would be a plan for what? What did the duck people miss? Well, they they made several. They had several uh, things where they could have made different decisions and not died. First thing they could have done is take a good look at the weather forecast and realize there's going to be thunderstorms. If you're going to be, if there's going to be a thunderstorm, and there what they were forecast. Don't go out on a lake. Yeah, you in look a thunderstorm. at the weather map. And you can see that line heading right towards you. Um, it's a bad time to be on the water. Sometimes they'll come up on you. Sometimes they will. We were diving once in, in a in a quarry, and we have a rule: any diver can call the dive for any at any time for any reason. It's a firm rule. So we're diving there, and you know we're hanging along, going down the wall, and. All of a sudden, we look over there, and some guy swims down towards us. Totally unrelated diver. Yeah, a a diver. We didn't even know who it was. He points at us and then gives us the ascend. Well, any diver. Any diver can can call call the dive. dive It's usually somebody in your group, but okay. Some random guy. (laughs) And so we're we're like, uh, okay. So we ascended. It turned out to be a guy we knew, uh, a, a dive master from a local dive shop and you know he we got up the surface and we're like hey joe what's up and he's like thunderstorm coming in it's about five minutes out you gotta get out of the water oh okay boom so we all swam over we got up out of the water just in time for i mean lightning was popping all around us and yeah so we didn't lose situational awareness because that was a freak storm Okay, and they do happen. We would not have gone in the water had we known that storm was coming. Because you'd stay away from bodies of water in thunderstorms. 
firm rule. Okay, that's the first thing. The second thing, when you get onto a situation like a duck, you know, you have to understand how you're going to get out of it. When you walk on there, you're like, okay, if this thing gets into trouble, how am I getting out of it? That's why if you see me, when I get on a, on a bus or something like that, what's the first thing I'm going to do? I'm going to take the first seat every time. I will sit in the first seat. That's why I do it. So I'm the nearest to the exit if a problem occurs. I know that sounds kind of goofy, but it's true. On an airplane, it doesn't matter. You're going for a ride. You know, <laughs> you're going where the airplane is going. All right. But on a bus, I'm going to be sitting as close to the front as I can get because I don't want to get caught in the crush. And many buses do have exits at the back, emergency exits at the back. Right. I sit next to the emergency exit where, where I can. And I make it a point. Take a look over it and see how to operate it so you can operate it in the dark. It, I, it takes like right. two seconds as long as you're thinking about it. So if somebody had been in the duck and they had had a big knife like a lot of preppers carry. Or even a three-inch pocket knife would have done it. Right. You can cut through the canvas if you have the wherewithal to do it. And you can tell which way is up because that's where the bubbles are collecting. Although that's going to be a pretty hard thing to do because you got panicking people all around you. Yeah, it would have and been an ugly situation. this water is cold. And people who've never had cold shock from water, it's a real deal. <laughs> you know, it, it's a real thing. Yeah, it, especially if you don't know that the shock passes in about 30 seconds, 20 seconds. Okay, we're just using this as an example, okay? So these are things those people could have done to save their lives. If they had followed the firm rule of don't go out onto the water when there's thunderstorms, they'd be living today. Two basic lessons I see there. Uh, one of them is the situational awareness to know what kind of situation you might be getting into and how you're going to get yourself out of it. And the other is not just handing over your safety when you hand over your money, keeping the responsibility for your own self in your own hands. And making the decisions yourself and not trusting that this guy who owns this boat, yeah, his judgment is in many ways probably better than yours, but he may not be thinking about it either. It may be something he's never encountered because, you know, weird things happen from time to time. You make your own decisions on safety before you get into a situation. We went on a boat tour in the Dells many years ago, but, you know, and the two kids that were running it were literally 18 years old. And, yeah, what am I doing? I'm checking out, you know, where the life jackets are. 18-year-olds have terrible risk assessment right. skills. We, we That's can part swim, of brain okay? isn't mature yet. We, we go into the water. We're not going to drown. Unless we're really injured. We're not going to drown. We can swim. But, you know, that's part of it, you know. A lot of people weren't even paying the slightest bit of attention to where the safety stuff were. Right? There you are. Now, another thing to consider is how to actually be situationally aware and plan, and then have that rewarded by not dying, <laughs> okay? Or perhaps by not even getting into actual drama. Did Have you told your uh, recent Yellowstone Lake thing on a podcast? I don't, know, I don't think I've told it on a podcast. I may okay, have put so, elements of it in here and there. but So let's go ahead and talk about 
let's just compare and contrast the difference between getting on a duck, which is something that millions of people have done, and going out on Yellowstone Lake, which is something that million people have done. But a lot of people, and I don't mean a lot of people percentage-wise, but there have been a lot of deaths in Yellowstone on Yellowstone Lake. More deaths in the lake than anywhere else but the roads. It is a particularly um, harsh capricious. mistress. Yes, it's very capricious. Very capricious. It, it's nice, so, and then it's not. Tell the story. Tell the story so, about you know Doc about and I Yellowstone. were on a hiking vacation. We'd done a big hike the day before. Give our, give our legs a rest. We'll go and paddle around Yellowstone Lake for a bit in a canoe. So we uh, hire a guy to take us out to one of the cooler spots to canoe, rent us a canoe, drop us off, leave us there for a few hours. He's going to come back mid-afternoon, pick us up. So first thing I got to do, this this is my part of the planning for our trip. So I got to pick where we're going to go and what we're going to do. And I look and there's, oh, there's this really cool island right out in the middle. And I thought how nifty it would be to to go and visit that island. But then I looked at the weather forecast for that day and saw that was going to be downwind of our takeout point. And being a cyclist, you never start out downwind. You always start out upwind. And also a somebody who is an experienced kayaker. Yeah, I'm not a master class kayaker or anything. I but paddle around on a little boat. Coyote. But I've yeah, I've, I've been out in little boats a lot, and I know how much difference wind can make when you're in those little boats. And so is my friend. We neither one of us were completely inexperienced. But I look at the giant fetch of Yellowstone Lake, and I look how it barrels right down the alley I'd have to go between our drop-off point and that little island. And that little island is downwind for that day. And I'm like, yeah, that would be really cool, but I just don't feel comfortable with that. Hey, look, here's this nice little bay that goes upwind. We can paddle upwind up to the end of this nice little bay. It's a no-wake area. There probably won't be many people. There will probably be some wildlife because they tend to put the no-wake areas at the wildlife reserves. And, yeah, we'll do that instead. Well, frankly, you know, and another part of this, too, is touristy-wise, hey, you haven't seen any of this stuff, so it's all new to you. Every bit of it's going to be good. Yeah. You know. So it's not like you're going to be really missing something because if you do the other, you would miss this. So, you know, it's the same amount of being of missing stuff. And I plan that we'll stick close to the shore for two reasons. One, the cool stuff is almost always on the shore, and we're going to look at cool stuff. And two, I know how cold the water of that lake is. And being a diver, I know the dangers of cold water. It's really, really, really cold. Neither my friend nor I is going to drown if we fall out of a canoe in the middle of open water. We can both swim just fine. But and we have life jackets. It, yeah. It, most people who are submerged in Yellowstone Lake take about half an hour to die. And it takes longer than that to swim halfway across the fetch of some of the places we're looking at. So I'm thinking of we we go canoeing across there and some big boat swamps us with its wake or something. We've got longer to swim to get to a shore than we have time to spend in water that cold. Situational awareness. Situational awareness. So we stuck close to the shore. We did our paddle. The wind started to pick up. We came back 
uh, somewhat early, took a more secluded, smaller little bay, not as exciting, but it was directly downwind of our takeout point. Well, we, uh, it was directly upwind. Uh, yeah, de- directly upwind, upwind of our takeout point. Uh, paused there on the beach to uh, have a picnic. And we had a totally unforecast severe windstorm. Which hits Yellowstone Lake all the time. Yeah, this those is a, are it's not a common rare at thing. Yellowstone Lake. I, yeah. But they're real windstorms. They're like, boom, like and this, 35, 40 mile an hour type. This was 40 mile an hour winds, and it was surprisingly bad to the guy who'd been running the boat there for the last 30 years. He said that one was one of the worst he's seen. So that picks up while we are at the picnic site. We're like, okay, let's, we're about an hour from takeout time. Let's just abort the rest of this paddle, go directly downwind to our takeout point, which was even a little bit exciting then because the chop was picking up pretty good. We pull out at, at the uh, takeout point, decide we'll just stretch out on, on the shore and enjoy the day, and the wind gets worse. And the waves get higher. And now they're four foot high, which is beyond my skill level in an open canoe. Right now, four foot high. For in people that tiny who don't beach. know, four foot high waves are like real waves on a freshwater lake. That's yes. like, for a freshwater lake, that's like real chop. And that isn't in the middle. That's in this protected bay. Because we're talking it's about way open worse out canoes in the middle. here. Yeah, open top canoes. We're not talking uh, about ocean, sealed ocean kayaks. We almost had to abandon the kayaks there on the shore because the guy with the big motorboat that came to pick us up was almost unable to come and approach the dock so he could pick up the canoes. And he was probably relieved to find that you were not. He was. The first thing he asked me is, did you guys get caught out in this? And I was like, nah, we pulled it in early when the wind levels started to exceed our skill level and he's like good job he thought he was going to have to rescue us by pulling us up off off ashore he's had to do that to people before so it ended up being a a beautiful little paddle on the lake and the ride back was really exciting because the waves were about six feet in the middle of that lake we actually stopped and checked out a smaller fishing boat where the people had uh hired a captain to take them out in an even smaller little fishing boat to make sure they weren't in serious distress because they were having such a energetic ride. Oh, I, I, it makes me want to puke right now thinking about it. Yeah, we thought we were going to have to try and perform a rescue there, but they were making progress back to the sheltered area. They didn't seem to need our help, so we went on. But it was it was that near thing. I remember when we were diving on the Ariskany. And that second dive, of course, we sat around, when you're diving on the Ariskany, the Ariskany is 31 miles out to sea. So you're just going to sit there between your two dives and wallow in that boat. And I don't do boats well to start with. Yes, a scuba diver who gets seasick. Yeah, it's it's a thing. But so I was just miserable, okay? And I get in the water, and I'm like, Because oh. once you're in the water, Once you're underwater. Well. Right. And they so, call it feeding fishes for a reason. He's a great at attracting wildlife after a boat interval like that because he's puking, <laughs> and then the fish are all coming to check out the food in the water. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> I mean, it really is. It, they, that, feeding the fishes is a real thing. Note to all non-divers: Yes, you can throw up and not drown. Throw up through a regulator. Throw up right through the regulator. Um, 
So we're not going to go into any more details than that. <laughs> but so when we're anyway, we're coming back from the dive, and the Oriskany is not a bunny dive. Okay, it's often billed as an easy dive. It is not an easy dive. It is deep, and it's often it's the limits got of limited visibility. And there's and a lot can of, be strong currents. And there's a lot of the type of wildlife that freak people out. I mean, you got six foot long. Yeah, they were barracudas longer cudas. than I they was hanging out five feet from me. Which is fine. They're very toothy fish. It's really cool too. They are, but, but they're they, very a lot of people panic at the the sight of carnivorous fish hanging out. You know, it was just driving hanging me. out in their shade, using them as cover to fish. And with. did I mention it was deep? And it is compelling to people who do stupid things to do stupid things inside the Oriskany. We're not going to, yeah. this isn't a diving show, but, you know, it's. Stay within the limits of your capability the is the, yes. is the lesson there. Because it settled much deeper than they yeah. thought it was going to. So. Our little canoe trip was nice, but yeah. it was only nice because it was very conservatively planned. That could have been disastrously bad, to be honest with you, because that was a completely unexpected weather pickup. Well, it you, was the conservative planning that kept it a pleasant day even our Oriskany dive though it was the, the we're talking gulf of mexico and we're out there a ways the wind picks up the chop picks up and we had five six foot waves and it was pulling the dive ladder was pulling completely out of the water that we were going to have to try and get back up on which means it chops back into the water when the boat comes down the other side and you're trying to grab that ladder and climb on it was, it's a cowboy moment it was. Wahoo! We got on. Yep. The best part about that trip, the number one thing about that trip, is after puking <laughs> and puking and puking and puking, we're coming back. And I'm I'm a vegetarian when it comes to meat that I don't personally kill or process or that isn't processed by somebody I personally know and trust. Commercial meat, not commercial a thing. Commercial meat. I don't eat commercial meat. The best part about that whole trip was... The hot dogs. Like maybe the hot dogs on the way back. So I totally was sick as a dog the whole way back, but I had to smell hot dogs. <sighs> Situational awareness. <laughs> <laughs> okay, we're talking, most of this has been water-based, but this we were just using this as an example. Because it's an unfamiliar situation to a lot of people. Right. And it makes it easy to overlook unexpected circumstances. Other ty- types of situational awareness we think is important for prepping, and this is a prep. You walk into a room, what's the, or you walk into a building, what's the first thing you do? You check out the exits. Can the windows be used as exits? Where are the, the exit signs? Are they blocked? Okay. Look around. If you're in a, at an event center or you're at a public building, where's the AED? Where is the AED? Do they have one? automatic defibrillator okay do you have aed training and if not why not that's something every prepper should have is full red cross we have to get ours recertified but full red cross and have been trained on aeds we've had the aed training it's we got to recurrent it because it's not it's a yearly thing we, yeah. haven't, we haven't done it the last year or so but you know every prepper should the that is part of situational awareness. Walking into a building and seeing, okay, there's the exits. Where are the fire extinguishers? Where are the fire extinguishers are. If you go to watch a movie, do you sit where you can get out if there is a panic? Good question. Do you? 
When you sit down on a new airplane, do you actually look around to see where those exits are? Yeah, I know. The safety briefing's lame. It's the same one every time. But you ought to at least know where your exits are. Right. And how to get there if the lights go out. Generally, if you have an airline airplane accident at 30,000 feet, it's not going to much matter. But if you have a miracle on the Hudson kind of an incident, yeah, it matters a lot. And you know, or a fire and they land. A fire and they land, exactly. Um, when you have somebody who is as good as Sully Sullenberger was as a pilot. Good call. You chose your pilot wisely. Yeah, that's a good choice. But what I'm saying is he pulled that off because he had already planned to land on the Hudson in case that had happened. He had already planned it ahead of time that, okay, if I lose power going over into New York City, there is exactly one place that I could put the plane down and have hopes that somebody survives. That's the Hudson. He knew it going in. So when it happened, there was no debate, no doubt, because he was aware and he had planned it. It's something my mom taught me when I was first learning to drive. As you're driving, of course, your mind's wandering around. One of the places it wanders over is, if something happens now, what do I do? Do I hit the ditch here? Is it better to take on than hit a ditch here? Uh, it's usually better to take the ditch. Almost always better to take the ditch. If Almost you're on a bridge, always. not necessarily. Yeah. You know? So you know what your plans are and what you're going to do if something bad goes down. It just takes a tiny bit of your brain after you're used to using it, but worth doing. Okay. We're going we're gonna to go do our thing now, and we'll let you go.